it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. This is the show you guys have all been waiting for. It's a playoff show year-round. We're doing it in June. And now the season's here. Now we're going to make our playoff picks. It's Doug and Shahan. We are going to make our picks. Who will make the college football playoff this year? This is the second season of this show. We will review, Shahan, our picks from a year ago. I re-listened to the conversation most of that podcast, I sped through it a little bit. But the one thing that I really noted in when we did this a year ago was I am screechy. I need to chill out, man. What am I doing? How do people listen to this podcast? I sound like a child. Why do I yell like that? It's not responsible. It's the it's the Doug allure. That's what people tune in for is to is to hear what you're going on about no. uh, in, in, in a tone of voice that only you can reach. I, I would have turned it off. I was like, who is this guy? And I was like, it's me. <laughs> I really need to have a moment here. So I'm going to be adult Doug. Now, nah, that won't last. I'm going to try to be adult Doug for five minutes. We can start the clock. Producer, start the clock. And we can ring a bell when I stop being an adult at some point on this podcast. <laughs> I don't want to start with the past. I want to start with the now. Shahan, your picks are out on CBSSports.com, where you are a full-time employee. And I actually, to be honest, have done a version of this show on my Ohio State podcast, the Buckeye Talk podcast. But we have not had this conversation together. And that's where the magic happens. Let's be honest. It's that Doug and Chahan magic. So let's let's start. This is where we started a year ago. Let's start with the teams that are barely missing our playoff. Because a year ago, our teams that did not, that we did not think would make the playoff, were very interesting. We had a very interesting, these teams will not make the playoff discussion. I'm not sure how many you, you did at CBS Sports, Shahan, but let's just talk about whether they're five, whether they're six. Who is just missing your playoff? Yeah, so we we had to pick a top six over at CBS. And so to, to start out with the first team out, I think is going to be Clemson. I, I think that the ACC has a couple of contenders to, to deal with. Clemson, North Carolina State, Miami. I think that Clemson probably ends up picking up a second loss, but it isn't necessarily two back-breaking losses. It's just two pretty good losses and it's just enough to keep them out of the field. I, I think that, you know, when you look, compare them to the rest of their schedule, when you compare them to the rest of the ACC, I mean, obviously the big difference versus this year versus last year is they're not going to play Georgia in week one. They're not going to pick up a loss that way. So if they look pretty similar to last season, uh, you know, maybe a little bit better, they, I think, still will lose two games and be that first team out. And at number six, I have Baylor. I, I think that... The Big 12 is going to be pretty competitive this year. I don't think a team is going to go through and only lose one game. I think Baylor likely wins the Big 12 at 11 and 2. Now, again, 
that's one swing game. If they win one more game, then I think that there's a conversation to be had. And we'll get into uh, into who I think that conversation would be against, uh, potentially when we get into that top four. But for me, I had Clemson at number five and I had Baylor at number six. All right. So let's have a Baylor conversation here because we're also going to reference, we did a podcast on March 23rd where we did our early playoff picks in March. And on that show, I was also screaming. And I was screaming about, what else are we supposed to talk about? It's March. So I thought that was a fun show because that's perception. That's, we haven't even seen spring games yet. That's pretty early in the process. I don't think we knew. Did we know for sure that Blake Shapin was going to be the Baylor quarterback? No. Yeah, that was no, after the, spring ball. It, There was no conception that he was going to be the Baylor quarterback at the time. On that podcast in March, I had Baylor in the playoff as my fourth team, and I no longer have Baylor in the playoff, but it's not because they went away from Gary Bohannon and went to Blake Shapin. I'm just trying to work through the ACC, Big 12, Pac-12 dynamic this season, which frankly is what you're... When Clemson's Clemson, you don't really have to work through that ACC dynamic because you think, ah, Clemson's Clemson, they're in. You don't think that with Clemson this year because two-loss Clemson is not Clemson is Clemson. Undefeated one-loss Clemson is, that's Clemson. So then the Big 12, Pac-12 thing, it's it's kind of interesting that you have to plant your flag a little bit. And you might might plant it on nobody. Neither team gets it. Neither, neither conference gets one in. But as you try to think about it, I think it's a fair – do you think it's a fairly similar conversation, Shahan, the – Oklahoma-Baylor, Oklahoma State conversation, and maybe you throw a little bit of Texas in there, a little Texas monkey wrench, maybe a little K-State monkey wrench, but that there's kind of a top three, and the Utah-USC-Oregon conversation, and maybe you throw in a little Washington monkey wrench, or I don't know, an Oregon State or UCLA monkey wrench. Is that a similar conversation, you think, as you try to figure out which conference is more likely to produce a playoff team is Oregon, USC, Utah versus Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, and how they all knock each other down, balance each other out. Is that similar in your mind? Yeah, I I think it is. And I think that the other part of this, too, is that you throw in a Texas monkey wrench. I mean, I think Kansas State's going to be a heck of a monkey wrench this year. I think that TCU could be a monkey wrench this year. I think they could end up being better than people think, right? Like, I think that the monkey wrenches, per se, that are in the Big 12 are a lot trickier than en masse what's going on in the Pac-12. And even, even I mean, I think that uh, I think that you could have a conversation about the quality of the three sort of contenders at the top. I, I think that, you know, I'm probably lower on Oregon than most. Uh, but, you know, I think that potentially Oklahoma could be a better number three than what uh, than what the Pac-12 is working with. So that's that's a big part of my conversation is. I think that Utah is probably better than Baylor. I, I think it's pretty close, but I think that Utah's probably better than Baylor. Um, and I think that the things that Baylor has to go up against in the Big 12 are probably going to be more difficult. Not even to mention, by the way, having to go on the road and play BYU. I'm about to mention it. Yeah, yeah. That is a factor in me no longer having Baylor in the playoff because I guess I'll make Baylor my six. The BYU is my five. And a, a, year, a year ago on this podcast, we talked a lot about Cincinnati because we were deciding at that time whether Cincinnati should join our playoff conversation. And again, we'll get that more specifically. We had a big Iowa State conversation. We, we, we like to talk on the fringes, right? We, we try to expand our view, not because we're trying to be cool. We're trying to gain audience members in Ames, Iowa or in Utah or anywhere else, but because what we think. 
If you look at BYU's schedule, and we've talked about this a lot, it's why BYU is in our playoff conversation as one of the 11 teams. Baylor at home in week two, at Oregon in week three, then later in the season, Notre Dame and Vegas, and then they also play uh, Arkansas at home a little bit after that. I think they can go three and one in those games. And to make the playoff, they have to be undefeated. If they're undefeated with those four wins, I'm not even sure it's a conversation because there's a chance. What if BYU's undefeated with wins over the Big 12 and Pac-12 champs? It's like, oh, should they be in? It's like, what are you talking about? Should they be in? I don't think they're going to go undefeated. But if they're 11 and one against that schedule, I think that is getting a lot of respect, especially if Notre Dame's pretty good. And if I'm going to pick the loss, I'm going to pick it at Oregon in week three. That they're so experienced. Why do we like them? Good coach, good quarterback. They're the most experienced team in the playoff race in terms of returning production. They did lose their running back. I think they can beat Baylor in week two. Then it's like you come right back after that. And you have to go on the road to Oregon. That's too tough. Then you get a couple of weeks to recover and you get Notre Dame in Vegas and you beat Notre Dame. And then I think they're better than Arkansas. So that's 11 and one BYU who I think is in. Do you think they're in the conversation or do you think me having 11 and one BYU fifth is OK, Doug, I can ex- I can understand how you have 11 BYU 11 and one, but they're gonna be ninth. That could be fifth. Well, I think that what you just described, though, makes the Cincinnati case, which is having a win over Baylor potentially being number six gives them a little bit of a high floor. Right. Because I think that, you know, it's funny. I I, I mean, not that we need to get too far into this. I think that in a funny way, the schedule sets up really well because they're going to have a lot of teams that are ranked very highly. But like. I don't think Notre Dame's amazing. I think they're fine. I, I think that they're a good team, but I don't think that they're unbeatable. You know, Baylor, I, I think that's a pretty tough matchup just from a physical perspective. But like, it's again, same deal. It's not unbeatable. Oregon, same sort of deal. I think that they're probably more of a top 20 caliber team. So I don't think that's that you're guaranteed to lose that game, though. Playing it on the road is tough. Uh, and then I honestly look at Arkansas as maybe one of the more difficult games just because of matchups. But again, not unbeatable. They could definitely win that game. So like it kind of lines up in a perfect way where you've got all these teams who are highly regarded, but not unbeatable. And I mean, again, if you beat Baylor and Baylor finishes number six in the country, then that probably means that you're finishing number five. If you go 11 and one, I think this version for me is an 11 and two big 12 champ in Baylor who has a regular season loss in the Big 12, maybe avenges it or whatever in the Big 12 title game, wins the Big 12, but has the BYU loss. So that's their two losses. And BYU has only one loss with the win over Baylor. So again, you have you have the team that, that has a is pretty high in the rankings and you have a win over them and a better record than them. So you've got to be above them. It's exactly the Cincinnati Notre Dame thing a year ago, but it doesn't quite get them in. So those are... Our scenarios, you have, we both have Baylor six, you have Clemson five, I have BYU five. So let's give the people, before we relive some of our drama, 
there's there is a lot of drama, I think, in the fourth pick, because you start looking around the country and a lot of people are landing in similar places. And we're going to do a head to head talent evaluation later about Ohio State and Alabama, because we don't have to tease anybody. Oh, I wonder if they'll put them in. We're going to talk about those teams directly in comparison to each other because I did a quick little talent evaluation. The fourth spot is the most interesting spot. So let's give them to him. You got number four in your playoff seating, Shahan. At number four, I have Utah, and parts of this are matchups, right? So, so actually, uh, just to just to take a step back, I will say at number four, I have Utah. At number three, I have Georgia. I think that part of that final seeding is going to be the fact that Alabama and Georgia will have just played in the SEC championship game, and there's going to be some finagling, some moving around to try to get. Utah to play Alabama instead of Georgia playing Alabama again. And so, and it could work the other direction, but I, I think that, I think that Utah being four is more about finagling than it is necessarily about this is the fourth team versus third team. But, you know, when I look at Utah, we've talked so much about it, right? They have, I think, a perfect opportunity. I love this week one game against Florida. It's kind of like that UCLA game last year uh, where they play against LSU. And LSU is not very good. In fact, they're pretty bad. But the fact that UCLA went on the road, or, or sorry, no, they hosted them and beat LSU meant something to people because you're like, oh, wow, they can hang with a team that's like LSU. Now, LSU wasn't like LSU, but it matters. It pushed them into the top 15. Utah starting number seven this year. They go on the road to the Swamp to play Florida at 6 p.m. on Saturday. I'm very excited for that game. I think it's going to be a great game. If they go on the road and they beat a big, physical, talented Florida team, then there's no question about, well, can they hang with talent? Now, Florida's not there. Florida's not going to be a ranked team, a top 10 team, anything like that. But they are talented. You look at the, I'm waiting for 247 or at least the 2022 talent composite, but the 2021 talent composite, Florida's like number seven in it. They're really, really talented. And Billy Napier's only recruited even better since then. So this is a very talented team um, that that's going to do a lot of things well. And if Utah is able to go on the road and if it's convincing, if, if it's a really close game, then maybe that takes away some of the juice a little bit. But if, if they're able to win by a touchdown or more, I, I think that that gives them a chance to be top five, especially after Notre Dame loses by three touchdowns to Ohio state. You know, I think they're going to have a chance to move up. And then you go through the schedule, October 15th, you've got uh, you've got USC at home. I think that you can win that game. You go on the road to Oregon on November 19th. I think Utah's better than Oregon. And then you have a chance to, you know, you, you probably lose one along the way. I, I don't think they're going to go undefeated because I just, I think that's a tough thing to do when you don't have super, you know, Alabama, Ohio State level depth. I think that's just really hard to do. But that gets you to 12 and one. And I think that that definitely gets them into the college football playoff. This Florida game, maybe we are underrating and it is an opportunity, but it is certainly I think with the, I think that Pac-12 is good enough that I'm not sure Utah needs opportunity, that the idea that you're getting USC and Oregon both in the regular season and then you're likely to get the better of one of those in the Pac-12 championship game. Right. So that's your three quality games. If they were they could be playing South Florida. 
instead of Florida. And I don't think it would diminish their chances of making the playoff based on their schedule strength, right? I don't think people be going, oh, you know, one last Pac-12 champ, their schedule's not good enough. They might lose. It's a two and a half point game. Utah on the road is favored by two and a half. So that, right, it's a road team that's favored. This is a super interesting game. It's not Georgia, Oregon. It's not Ohio State, Notre Dame. I am waiting. There's a lot of people picking Utah, including me. They are also my number four team. And I think we might be sitting here a week from now kicking Utah out of this playoff discussion. We have 11 teams in our playoff discussion. We're going to kick a team out every week, and we're going to add a team every week. Then we're going to be open to getting up to as high as 12. How much would that upset the apple cart of this season if Florida beats Utah on Saturday? And how much of an upset would that be? Or again, when you're talking, when that talent composite comes out, guess who's going to be higher? Not Utah. Florida. Oh, yeah. Easily. Easily. So, and and guess who we think is maybe the best hire of the offseason? We've only said his name a thousand times in the last six months of podcast. Billy Napier. I I think Lincoln Riley's best hire of the offseason. But yes, I like Billy Napier a lot. So this could get messy fast. Can Utah make the playoff losing to Florida? And I guess that means, well, they have to run the table. Can can they run the table, beat USC at home, beat Oregon on the road in November, win the Pac-12 championship game? And that's your version of a 12-1 Pac-12 champ with this kind of goofy loss to Florida. And then Florida ends up going 8-4, and 9-3 and three or whatever. Could they still do that? Or if Utah loses to Florida on Saturday and we came back and said, okay, would you pick Utah as a playoff team right now? Would you be? No, I'm out on them. So here's the issue is that I actually think this game, uh, like you said, is very important because I think that if Utah goes on the road and loses against a Florida team that I don't think is a a lock to finish second in the SEC East, then I think that immediately, 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 the the conversation changes to the Pac-12 is not talented enough to compete with the SEC and we shouldn't seriously consider them for the college football playoff. Immediately. Like, no question about it. Because... You know, it's one thing if Utah goes on the like Oregon's going to go on the road and get destroyed by Georgia, and that's whatever. That's just that that's the game. If you're losing to teams that finished six and seven last year, when you're supposed to be the number seven team in the country, like that will reflect on what people think about the Pac-12, and that's not fair, right? The SEC doesn't have to go through things like this. The Big Ten doesn't have to go through things like this, where uh, where their entire reputation is shelved because a team loses a game on the road. But that's life as a Pac-12 team. That's life as an ACC or Big 12 team, too. If if there's a bad loss and you're a contender, then that, that ruins not just your season. It potentially ruins your entire conference's chances. Now, it's not a lock. Like, I'm not saying that Utah's path would be impossible at that point. But they would always be the team that went on the road and lost to 8-4 and four Florida. They just would. And that, I think, does mean... It doesn't mean that it would be impossible to get into the field, but it, I, I do think it means it would be a lock that we'd get a second SEC team into the field over them. And, because I think that Georgia would be a lock to get in. Now, we, we like you said, both have them in right at the second, but it means that if Clemson finishes 12-1, and one, I think they're in over Utah. Absolute lock, right? So... And I don't think that's the case if Utah if Utah goes on the road and beats Florida and Utah just loses a silly one along the way but beats Oregon on the road and beats USC at home and beats one of those two teams again. I think that they would get in over Clemson if Clemson goes 12-1, and one, uh, depending on who the loss is, of course. But 
I think that if Utah loses that game to Florida and then runs through the Pac-12 schedule, then the conversation is, well, the Pac-12 wasn't as good as we thought. And that's it's just as simple as that. Let's do this quickly while we're here, because again, a year ago when I was screeching, the Georgia Clemson game was staring us in the face. And we were both talking about the seasons for Georgia and Clemson. And we both thought Georgia would win that game. And I don't know. I don't think everybody in the country thought that a year ago. I think, I don't know, was it a toss-up? Maybe the people, you know, and it certainly was a close game, low scoring game, but we were right. And then we wound up being kind of right about Georgia the whole year. But a lot of it was based on we think they're going to win this week one game and then they go. So let's do this real quick. It's not like we do a lot of picks. Hey, who's playing this week? We'll talk about the games that matter. Notre Dame, Ohio State, 730 on Saturday night in Ohio Stadium. Let's just do quick versions of this. How do you see that game going? You kind of mentioned it before. Yeah, I, I think it's a very bad matchup for for Notre Dame. You know, we've talked for so long about how the biggest issue facing Notre Dame has been that they are big and physical and do a great job in the trenches and and have developed at a high level, but they do not have speed. They do not have elite speed. And we've seen that come up when they've played the top end of the SEC, for example. We've seen that come up when they played Clemson. Uh, this is that kind of game. Th- this is Ohio State, which functions like a super fast high end SEC team going and playing against Notre Dame, who I don't think is fast enough. And I, I just don't see how they keep players in front of them. I don't see how they score enough to keep up with Ohio State I think they'll cause some issues early but I I just think that it's not that the talent gap is too big it's that the talent gap is too big at certain key places uh specifically defensive back versus receiver matchups I think that's just going to be a really tough matchup for them um and, and I do think you know just just talk big picture about Notre Dame Look at their 2022 and 2023 and 2024 recruiting classes. I think that they understand that speed is perhaps their biggest disadvantage. And they've gone in 2023 and said, let's get some of the top receivers from the state of Texas, uh, which is where you get fast receivers. And so it'll get better. But this is week one. This is game one uh, of the regular season for Marcus Freeman. And I, I wish I felt better about it, but I don't. A lot of the juice around Notre Dame is where the program is headed under Marcus Freeman, not where it is right now. That's not the same thing. So I actually think it'll be competitive and then Ohio State will pull away. But I do think it will help define and clarify what people are thinking about Notre Dame and Ohio State right now. It's why we don't have Notre Dame in our playoff conversation. We just we just don't think they're going to beat Ohio State in week one. And then we think there are more potholes to come. And They'll look like a good, solid football team, but just not quite be there. So we think a pretty convincing Ohio State win, which sets the plan for Ohio State this year. Georgia-Oregon, top 12 matchup. You've been talking about this. Again, you think this is kind of a blowout that Oregon goes to Atlanta and and, Atlanta, and Georgia takes care of business? Yeah, I, I don't know what Oregon can do better than Georgia. Like, anything I, I don't know what position they're better at i don't know what uh, they do schematically better like, quarterback quarterback uh, i'm just no, kidding no Boat. no 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 I, I i do think that oregon might pull out some tricks early because they probably will know maybe a little bit better than most some of the soft spots against georgia's defense of which there aren't that many but uh i, I think it's just a pull away and and um 
it, it just ends up being a blowout. And again, would you be interested in the idea of Oregon gets blown out against Georgia, but yet in the Pac-12 has a chance to still win the Pac-12 title and be a playoff team? Or would that be a little bit definitive for you that, okay, we just are not going to really see Oregon in the playoff mix this year? I mean, I think that we're probably not going to see Oregon in the playoff mix just because of quality. But, I mean, if they go and lose big against Georgia in week one, I don't think that that's a death sentence. I mean, that that would be a week one game with a new coaching staff. I think that we definitely would still potentially see them have a chance to get into the conversation. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's as devastating as losing to a Florida team that we don't think is supposed to be very good. Uh, you know, this is this is losing against a potential college football playoff team. Okay, again, that's a 3-11 matchup. So I think we agree with that. It's going to be clarifying for both teams. Georgia is right in the thick of the playoff mix. Oregon is not. And week one will tell us that Uh, Cincinnati, Arkansas is a little bit interesting on the fringes. I don't think we we can talk about the winner next week. I don't think we have to delve into that game too much. And then again, Utah at Florida, 7 p.m. on Saturday night. You do think in, you think Utah will win like that's part of this. We both have Utah four. I assume we're talking about how it could go wrong, but we're both picking Utah to beat Florida. Yeah, I I think that this is just a battle of two teams that are in different places. I I think that Utah, in some ways, actually, I think you could even say that Florida eventually wants to look a lot like Utah, but obviously with Florida recruiting advantages, right? Like, I think they're going to use a lot of tight ends. I think they're going to block at a high level. I think that they're going to be very well organized. I think that they're going to structure their program at a really high level. I I think that Cameron Rising is a great type of quarterback that Florida would love to have uh, in the future. I just think that this is game one Florida trying to head in that direction versus year 15 or whatever we're, we're working with uh, with Kyle Whittingham at Utah. And I, I think that it's going to be a good opportunity for Utah to show, hey, we can compete against talent. And this is what a finished version of that kind of program looks like. OK, so we'll both pick Utah there. I think that makes sense. I would be alert. Watch that game. It's going to be on the same time as Ohio State, Notre Dame. Watch that game on Saturday. And if Utah's up by 21 at halftime, then you can maybe not pay attention. But Florida has a chance to make that interesting, especially at home. What if this What if this is the beginning of the revival of Florida and it starts week one? Like Billy Napier lays the groundwork right, ne- right now beating a top 10 team. It's just, it's an interesting spot with where those two programs could be headed. Okay, we have our teams just missing. We have our number four playoff teams in. Shahan's revealed his third team. Let's, on the other side of this break, go in the Wayback Machine and talk about what we predicted a year ago. If you like people kind of being right, but mostly being wrong, you'll like this next on the College Football Survivor Show. Don't miss the College Football Survivor Show bonus episode this week. Available only on Apple Podcasts. Let's play quarterback, receiver, running back. And let's rank the top 10 trios in the country. Quinn Ewers at quarterback, Xavier Worthy at receiver, and Bijan Robinson at running back. That's probably top five. That's somewhere to start. What about literally every <laughs> other player on the roster? <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things. When you're taking shots with dark horses, right, you take shots on talent. If I'm going on a dude search, I'm going to go on a dude search in Texas. I'm not going to go on a dude search in North Dakota. No offense to anybody in North Dakota. A dude searching your way through the Longhorn State is not a bad way to go. Shouldn't Steve Sarkeesian be good at this? I, I got like I 80, 84 seconds into a reasonable Texas discussion before you just start punching well, holes in my Longhorn so, balloon. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Second, Shahan, back. You can follow us on Twitter, CFB Survivor Show. We'd love to have you. And then we'll, you know, encourage people to ask questions there. Once the games start, I think people get fired. Oh, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? We'd love to have that interaction and uh, use some of your questions on the show. By the way, on the Apple Podcast Show this week, it's $2.99 a month to get those four bonus episodes a month. So there's one every week, like earlier in the week. We do that Apple show, and then we do this main show midweek. That bonus app. We did dark horses for the college football playoff. So we have 11 teams in our discussion. We have five other teams that we talked about that did not make our playoff contender list. So we didn't talk. We didn't include those. Anybody else was on the board. We drafted eight teams that we see as playoff dark horses. And I think we had an interesting conversation there. Again, we're not talking about like Sunbelt teams. We're talking about power five teams for the most part that we just did not have a playoff conversation about before. For instance, Penn State. For instance, Oregon. For instance, Texas. So go listen to that. Be a subscriber to our bonus episodes each week. A year ago, Shahan, we were so close to being really right because we both had Georgia as the number one seed in the college football playoff. And then we both had them losing their semifinal game to the number four seed. So... They weren't the number one seed. They were the number one team all year. They lose the SEC championship game. They're the three seed, and then they win the national championship. That is the only playoff team that we got right a year ago. We were each (laughs) one for four on playoff teams. We both had Georgia number one, and then we just couldn't go all the way with Kirby. I know you yell at me for underrating Kirby Smart. We did the exact same thing, which is like, great regular season, Kirby, but you can't win a game that matters. So you had them losing to Clemson because Clemson was your four seed. I had them losing to Oklahoma because Oklahoma was my four seed. As we look back now, what do you think? Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll get deep into the Oklahoma discussion of what the hell happened in 2021. Things are very different a year later. Uh, Look, I, I think that at the end of the day, right, I've had this conversation before. And, you know, again, this is not a knock. Kirby Smart has a championship ring. I'm very high on Kirby. I think he's the third best coach in sports. I think that that Georgia team last year was fantastic. Like a, a lot of our stuff failing was the other teams letting us down, right? It was Oklahoma not being what they were supposed to be. It was Clemson oh, really struggling. I, I like the theory here. It's not that we were wrong. It's that we were right. And the, <laughs> it's the team's fault for sucking. Oh, okay, good. No, I mean, but like, there's a little to that. Like, there, if you go back, right, with the information we had at the time, who could have expected that Clemson was going to spend most of the year outside of the top 25? That is insane. That's crazy. And then Oklahoma, right? We felt like this might have been one of their better teams. And just everything went as wrong as, like, not even as wrong as it could possibly go. It went worse than anybody could have imagined. They failed, and the coach left, and the quarterback left. Right. It's as bad as it gets. Both quarterbacks left. Yes, both quarterbacks left. Yes. Now, now the now the uh, starting quarterback at Oklahoma is the UCF guy. Like, that's where we're at. It's it's 
last year was so weird. I know that we talked about it a little bit, but like, I don't feel like we've had a national discourse about how weird last year was. But we knew it. I use the phrase beautiful mess. We think this season is going to be a beautiful mess. And it's why we had a Cincinnati conversation where we did put Cincinnati in our playoff discussion a year ago when we were talking about teams that deserve to be in our playoff discussion. The 10 teams that we had in our playoff discussion last year heading into the season were Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Georgia, Notre Dame, Iowa State, Oregon, and Cincinnati. We in the, the final playoff rankings, we had five of the top six teams in the final playoff rankings we had in our playoff discussion, right? We, we had Alabama, Georgia, Cincinnati, Notre Dame, Ohio State. We did not have Michigan in our playoff discussion, which is why our dark horse conversation on the bonus pod was who can be this year's Michigan? Because nobody was talking about Michigan's playoff team last year. And then we, we, you know, we, we had, um, we didn't have a lot of like, Baylor and Ole Miss conversations before the season last year. But again, I'm not I'm not sure a lot of people did. In the end of the 10 teams we had in our playoff mix, nine made the top 25 of the final playoff rankings. The only one that didn't was Iowa State, which fell off a cliff. And I just happened to also pick Iowa State for the playoff. In the end, my top four, my playoff teams, Georgia one, Ohio State two, Iowa State three, Oklahoma four. You had Georgia one, Oklahoma two, Ohio State three, Clemson four. So we had three of the same four teams, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma. We were right on one of three of those. We both missed the other team. My big play was both Clemson and Alabama missed the playoff. And it felt we were we neither of us had Bama in the playoff. And if Auburn takes care of business and finishes them off, we're right, which is what you're saying. Blame the teams. We both we both in the preseason last year predicted Texas A&M to beat Alabama because both of us had Texas A&M ahead of Bama in the final playoff rankings. You had Texas A&M in the SEC championship game against Georgia. So there were, again, we were kind of right. I mean, we weren't (laughs) right, but there were things that we said expecting a Clemson and Alabama fall off, right? Kind of right. Texas A&M winning, kind of right. Georgia rising up, but maybe not... Kind of right. And then and then there's, there's the Iowa State thing, which will hang around my neck forever, how long this <laughs> podcast exists. It, you know what is funny? Um, you know, we'll, we'll transition into talking about our number three teams a little bit uh, in just a second. But I feel like last year and, and actually, let me take a big step back. So when the AP poll was was released this year, right, the preseason poll, uh, Utah comes in at number seven. And at number four, we have Clemson, who finished the year number 14, barely. Uh, at number five, we have Notre Dame, who lost to Oklahoma State in their bowl game and lost a lot. And at number six, we had Texas A&M, who finished the year unranked. And I believe became the 12th team all time to go from unranked to top 10 in the preseason poll, which is just the most A&M stat I've ever heard in my life. And like, so much of that preseason poll felt like, why are you cowards not ranking Utah number four? Like, why are you playing it so safe? And when I go back and listen to my list of teams that I had make the playoff last year, it feels a little like that. It feels a little like this feels a little cowardly. This feels a little like shocky. And we talked about it last year, heading into last year, 21 of the 28 playoff spots were taken up by four teams. 
And I think I had three of them making the field last year with Alabama being the one that misses. And instead, it was exactly the opposite. It was Alabama made it and the other three missed it. Uh, and so, I, I mean, we can – do you want to get into our number three right now? So, so let's do this because I do – there's a conversation to be had here because this is where we differ. We both have Utah at four. You have Georgia at three. I have Clemson at three. You have Clemson missing it. I have Georgia missing it. And my Georgia scenario for missing the playoff is the loss you don't see coming in the regular season and they lose the SEC championship game. And there's a two loss team. They're not in. So I don't know. Maybe I should have them six or whatever. Like I, that might be wrong by me. Are they going to be seven? Are they going to be whatever? I just think Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, if I had to pick it, I think I'd pick that September game against South Carolina. Spencer Rattler reminds people of who he is. It's like a one. Do I think Spencer Rattler is going to do it all year? No. Do I think he has enough in him to rise up in like the biggest game and and like after a disastrous season a year ago? Maybe. And if not, maybe it's Will Levis for Kentucky. And if not, maybe it's Hendon Hooker for Tennessee. I just think the defense will be good, not great. Their quarterback is still good, not great. And if you put more on him, I don't know that he's going to do it for 12 weeks. So that's my scenario for why I have. And I think Clemson, whether it's in shape DJ or freshman Cade Klubnick, I think the quarterback play will be better and their defense will be awesome. And that's why I have Clemson in. So that's my Georgia Clemson view. What's your Georgia Clemson explanation? Yeah, I mean, I I go back to to after putting it all together, feeling a little bit cowardly because – there are three teams right now that are just from a talent perspective lapping the field. It's Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia. And spoiler alert, that's my number one, two, and three, right? Like, and the reality is we haven't seen Georgia do the like playoff caliber, national title caliber thing for multiple years at this point, right? We, we've seen them be like the right, they finished number five countless times at this point, you know, one, one loss outside of the playoff. Uh, we haven't necessarily seen them be this lock as being the second team. And, you know, for me, I think Alabama is incredible. I think this might be one of the best Alabama teams ever. So like, I think they have to be in which means that you're guaranteeing at least one loss for Georgia in the SEC championship game, uh, which is obviously what happened last year too. So I think that part of this is a, I think that part of this is me thinking that the voters and the committee and the conversation is just going to give Georgia a huge benefit of the doubt now that even if they, I mean, I, I think that even with two losses, we might have that conversation because one of the losses will be to the number one team. Mm. So, and, and maybe not, I don't know, but I think that there's just going to be so much benefit of the doubt for Georgia. I think there's going to be so much, so many people saying, well, look at what they did last year. Look at how much talent they have. Look at all this and that, that like, it's going to almost incept Georgia into the field. Now, what I'm going to be curious about, because I do have, uh, you know, again, we'll, we'll have the uh, the Alabama-Ohio State conversation. Ohio State-Alabama conversation is coming. We have a talent comparison. There's a big conversation coming. So so for me, I mean, Alabama is a preseason number one team in the country. I think if they don't lose and if they look really good, they're going to be the conversation in college football this year as the number one team. And that means that, you know, if Georgia was four behind Utah, which might be fairer, depending on how things work out, 
it, it would be a rematch. And I don't think they're going to allow for a rematch. And and also, by the way, it would be Ohio State, Utah rematching from last year's Rose Bowl, too. So I think that you have like a double rematch possibility. I don't think they're going to do that. Now, maybe that's maybe they'll, they'll do it by putting Ohio State as the one seed, because I think that both those teams probably go undefeated. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that Georgia is just a very safe pick. It, even talking about it now, it feels like underwhelming because, you know, there's there's so much that could happen with that with that spot if it's not Georgia and even if it's not Clemson. But I, I just think that Georgia is going to have so much. I don't want to say unearned credibility, but I, I just think they're going to get every benefit of the doubt of just being like, well, they're not as good as Alabama, but they're way better than everybody else. I don't know if I agree with that. I think it's possible Georgia will be hurt by being compared to itself, that people will look and say, well, you know, their defense is not as good as last year. That's what carried them last year. And they're good, but they're not great. And if their defense isn't generational, then what are they? And listen, if Zach Calzada at Texas A&M can jump up and bite Bama last year on any given Saturday, I'm going to bet, and and I forgot to throw Florida in this mix, the mix of Spencer Rattler at South Carolina, Hendon Hooker at Tennessee, Will Levis at Kentucky, Anthony Richardson at Florida. Four interesting quarterbacks. And if the defense isn't generational again, can one of those four guys have a Saturday you'll never forget and upset Georgia? I don't know that I'm at the point where I just assume Georgia's going to win every game it's favored in just because they did it last year with 10 NFL guys starting on the defense. So, you know, Jermaine Burton's at Alabama. He's not there. George Pickens is gone. They lost their top two running backs. Yes, they're filling in, but I'm not all the way there with Georgia that Georgia now gets all my benefit of the doubt. And I wonder, I don't think they're, I think they're, I think it could be a little weird this year. I just don't think two lost Georgia is going to get in. Now, the one thing we were just talking about Oregon, how good is Oregon going to be? If they blow the doors off Oregon and Oregon wins the Pac-12, that really helps. If they blow the doors off Oregon and Oregon's eight and four, then it's like, okay, just like we were saying, if Utah beats Florida, but Florida's eight and four, okay, well, so it's going to matter a little bit because they got a lot of juice off that Clemson win a year ago, right? And then even though Clemson had a year that was below the Clemson standard, Georgia was so dominant, that win got them going. I just think it's hard to win every week. And I, I don't, I don't think they will. And then when you have Bama waiting for you in your championship game, that's your second loss. We've never seen a two loss team make the playoff and okay. Georgia with all its talent as a defending champ, they're the first team to do it. That's probably the type of resume, right? That would get you there. But I just think they will be, I don't think a two loss team will make the playoff. So I, I think it gets interesting. The one thing that I'll say, especially if they do lose one along the way, is they're playing Oregon, who's going to be number 11. Let's say that Oregon loses by three touchdowns. I mean, Oregon's probably like the number 22 team in the country or something like that after that. Uh, and then the second to last week of this uh, of the season, they play at Kentucky, who's number 20. And those are the only two ranked games on their schedule. You know, that's that's not a very impressive schedule. Agreed. So like if, if they do trip up along the way, I mean, I think you even compare it to Clemson. Clemson's got a pretty interesting schedule. They play at Wake Forest, who's ranked right now. They probably won't be later because Sam Hartman's out. But NC State's going to be ranked. I think that they could be potentially a postseason top 10 or 15 team. Notre Dame uh, is ranked right now. 
I don't know exactly where they're going to be by the time that they play on November 5th, but they'll be ranked at, at, in one way or another. And then they play Miami at home on November 19th, and then we'll get somebody else, maybe Miami again, in the ACC championship game. So you're probably talking about three or four ranked games that are pretty good for Clemson. So if it is a comparison between a one-loss Georgia and a one-loss Clemson, like that's mm. probably quite a discussion um, if Georgia does get beat pretty bad, especially in the SEC championship game. So now at the same time, I don't think that Clemson's going to survive that schedule necessarily. That's why I have them out. But uh, but I mean, I don't think that Georgia, based on schedule, based on even just playing in the SEC, is going to earn a whole ton of credibility because the uh, the East is kind of like young and fun and has some nice things about it. But like, it isn't good, right? Like, like we're not talking about it being good as yet. I, I think in the end, I have Clemson as a one-loss ACC champ and Georgia as a two-loss non-champ. Even if Georgia's a one-loss non-champ, I think Clemson's in ahead of them. I think one-loss Clemson with the rising respect for the ACC, I think Clemson's in ahead of Georgia, even if Georgia is undefeated going in now. Maybe if the Pac-12 falls apart and the Big 12 falls apart, then maybe our four playoff teams are ACC champ Clemson, Ohio State as a Big Ten champ, and Bama and Georgia. That could be. It might end up being that it's like Georgia versus a Utah conversation or Baylor or BYU and all that kind of stuff. But for now, that's why I have Georgia out. So two Utahs. You have Georgia three. I have Clemson three. Let's quickly reference the March 23rd early playoff picks that we did because we have both changed slightly. No surprise, by the way, we're going to get to this Bama-Ohio State thing. We both have Bama as our one seed. We both have Ohio State as our two seed. That's also what we had then. I guess we didn't say seeds necessarily on March 23rd, but we both had them in. You had Georgia in. I had Clemson in. So three of our four teams from March are the same, right? Bama-Ohio State, Clemson for me. Bama-Ohio State, Georgia for you. I switched from Baylor to Utah, and I think I explained why. You switched from USC to Utah. So now you have to explain why, because you love Lincoln Riley, but you bailed on him. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think that they still have a very good chance of putting this thing together. I, I mean, truly, I believe that I, I believe that USC should make the Rose Bowl and anything short of that should be considered a failure. That's how that's the expectations, I think, when you're Lincoln Riley and you come in talking big game and you get the number one transfer class of all time and you bring in your quarterback and your receiver and the Blitnikoff winner like you have to make the Rose Bowl. You have to win 10 games. That's what it's going to take. I, I still think that they very much have a chance to to do the thing, to, to have a chance to make the playoff. So they go on the road to Utah on October 15th. I probably am just feeling a little bit better about Utah right now nothing's changed. I don't know why I'd feel better now than I did then, but I, I think that I just, you know, after really getting into the numbers, after really getting into the stats, after really watching back some of Utah stuff from last year, after Cameron Rising took over at quarterback, I feel pretty good about that matchup on October 15th. Uh, now, I think that USC will lose that game, but they'll beat Notre Dame in the last week of the year and have a chance to go 11-1 and uh, if things work out. And what's going to be interesting and what could potentially screw everybody is... You know, USC and Utah, because of the way that the schedule works out now, are going to probably rematch in the Pac-12 title game. So there's a chance, too, that either USC can avenge that loss in the Pac-12 championship game, 
or Utah might get knocked out of the field uh, with the Pac-12 championship game against USC. And, and if it's not USC, it'll probably be Oregon, like you said. So I'm just feeling Utah right now. I think they have a chance to to put together a pretty special season. Um, you know, I, I really like what they've got coming back. Uh, I think that they are a team that is running at peak performance right now. This is what a Kyle Whittingham team is dreamt to look like on both sides of the ball. Uh, it's the platonic ideal of a Kyle Whittingham team. I'm just feeling Utah right now, but, um, you know, and, and I think that part of this too is probably also talking to other people around Pac-12 country who really feel like this is a, a Utah year, that this is a team that really changed after week three, after they switched to Cameron Rising at quarterback. But USC is going to be right there. I don't feel bad about USC. I think they're going to finish in the top 10 and, and again, have a chance to go to the Rose Bowl probably. I just think that they probably lose to Utah and maybe drop another one along the way. I just want to say this before we get off this topic. A year ago, when I was explaining why I had Georgia as my one seed, but had them losing to Oklahoma as the four seed, as both you and I picked Oklahoma to win the national championship a year ago, I said, I just think Georgia gets rattlered. (laughs) So now you're saying it's a year early on it, huh? September 17th, Georgia at South Carolina. A noon kickoff, I think Georgia gets rattlered. So that is, I'll officially (laughs) plant my flag that it's just a weird start for Georgia. They beat Oregon. They feel good about themselves and they play Samford. It's like an exhibition game. They'll be, they might, everyone will be in on Georgia and they start feeling themselves a little bit and they're not as good as they were last year. And Spencer Rattler is lying in wait. So that's, that's my specific version. But if it doesn't happen, then I just think it'll happen somewhere else. Okay. That's why we changed. That's who we've got. Everybody in the country has two teams at the top, and we need to talk about them and make our national title picks next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We both have Bama 1 and Ohio State 2 in the seating. Is that correct? Yes. We both think Ohio State and Bama will both go undefeated. Is that correct? I lean that way. I did a mathematical breakdown that I made up, pulled out of nowhere, which is my favorite kind of math. I don't know if they have that. I might have taken that kind of math in college. Made up out of nowhere math. And just going through Ohio State's schedule and assigning a percent chance of Ohio State to win each game in their 12-game regular season, I got to a 28% chance of Ohio State going 12-0, and which sounds low, but is actually pretty high. There wasn't a single game that I gave Ohio State less than a 75% chance of winning. But still, when you do it enough times over a 12-game schedule, it gets you down to 28%. And then I said, oh, no, but I think they're going undefeated, right? And I think that includes – I think Wisconsin's going to be pretty good. I think Wisconsin loses in Columbus on September 24th and then runs the table. I think it's 12-0 Ohio State versus 11-1 Wisconsin for the Big Ten Championship, and I think Ohio State wins again. Some people have brought up to me in that version – with Ohio State having wins over Notre Dame, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, and Wisconsin twice, wouldn't Ohio State be the one seed? 
Whereas Bama, what who's Bama beaten? Bama's beaten Texas. They've beaten Texas A&M, LSU, Old Miss. Is that enough? My answer to that, Shahan, is like Bama's Bama. And I just don't see like sort of like undefeated Bama. I don't know how the committee gets off of them. Almost no matter what like the script, the schedule strength might say. Well, and I think that another factor to throw into this, too, is that if they go 13 and 0, then they will have beaten most likely number four uh, Georgia in the SEC. That's actually the most important point. Yes. And so I think that I, I think that Ohio State will have more wins, but like. Again, I don't think Notre Dame's going to finish as a top 10 team. I think that Notre Dame's like the number 18 team in the country. I think Wisconsin could be like borderline top 10, but nobody will think that Wisconsin's Georgia. Um, and then I think that, I think that Michigan's probably like in that 10 to 15 range. And we talked about Michigan State's schedule yesterday. I think they're probably going to finish unranked, even though they're going to be a pretty quality team, though Penn State will be interesting. But like, again, we're talking about playing four or five teams that are like, 10 to 20 range versus beating the number three or four team in the country. That that SEC title game juice is hard for anybody to match, right? So I think that's why we get there. So then let's do our breakdowns. In our scenarios, I have Bama. We both have Bama, Utah as a semifinal, one versus four. You have Ohio State, Georgia, two, three. I have Ohio State, Clemson, two, three. Do we both have Ohio State and Bama winning those semifinals? Yes. Okay, we both have that. So let's talk about Alabama, Ohio State. I did a quick thing. Bama released a depth chart this week. Ohio State doesn't release a depth chart anymore. Michigan doesn't release a depth chart. I think Texas is no longer going to release a depth chart. I'm going to do that. I'm going to figure out Power 5 teams who does and does not release a depth chart. It's silly. It's Can we inform fans? I don't know why. I don't know why people wouldn't do it. I think it's I think it's very silly. Sounds like championship programs release depth charts and other programs don't. I mean, it's one of those things like when Harbaugh stopped doing it at Michigan a couple of years ago and Ohio State, people were like, oh, Harbaugh can't do it. And then Ryan Day did it, too. It's like, OK, well, like what, what can you just provide information to fans? What's so hard about this? It, the thing is, right, like I just feel like at a certain point. If you feel like your biggest competitive advantage is to try to like hide information from people, it probably means that you're not that good, right? Like I, I feel like in the NFL, they release everything. It, it, they let people sit at practices and watch every bit of it because it's actually about, hey, it's not that we can run this play. It's that we're going to sequence this play in an interesting way that teams can't prepare for as well as they want. Like, it's silly. The the idea that that the thing that's keeping teams together and uh, preventing teams from figuring them out is that they can't watch practice or know their freaking depth chart, which we'll know after week one because we'll be able to watch the games. It's it's so stupid. It's so ridiculous. And like you said, I mean, obviously it helps us do our job better, which like. Coaches also get mad at us for not doing our homework when you won't even like give us the answers to to our homework when we've guessed. And it's like at a certain point, um, I actually did see. (laughs) So John McClain is a longtime uh, Houston Chronicle uh, beat writer for the Houston Texans, a legend in the industry. He he put out a funny tweet that that kind of made me laugh. But um, he was like, man, I'm trying to imagine uh, Daryl K. Royal if if uh, if I said that this team didn't put out a depth chart and he'd bang his fist on the table and say, we do this for the fans and the people who cover our team. And, you know, that that was just a funny tweet to me. But like a little bit like fans can't know what players are gonna play for you that's so ridiculous to me like that's what it's about it's about 
This is college football. It's not that serious. It's not state secrets. Uh, hey, guess what? Like you were the Texas thing is especially funny to me because you made a big thing about releasing your starting quarterback, but then like, oh well, you know, we don't want to our left guard position. Uh, we don't want to tip our hand, and it's like, yeah, it's because you don't have good players there. Like, it's it's so wild. That's four minutes so on depth wild. charts. Four minutes on oh, turn on. Just give me the freaking depth chart. I want to know what players that I need to prepare for. We're gonna get it fixed. Okay, we're gonna shame everybody no, into doing it. We will. That's uh, w- listen, listen. I'm an expert in shame. Okay, so I'm gonna. Sh- well, we will. You shame. got work to do. It's it's your it's your side of town that uh, that is releasing it. depth charts. I'll get them. I'm get them. I got it. I, I guess good. it's the Big Ten thing, like you talked about, where uh, they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You know, uh, every, uh, that's what we got to say. We got to convince Ohio State fans that actually not releasing a depth chart is everybody getting a trophy, and uh, and and then everybody would turn on it. Everybody's number one on the depth chart in our hearts. Yeah, aren't we all starters in our hearts? Uh, okay. I did just, this is very quick, based on Alabama's depth depth chart starters that they released and my analysis of what I know to be the Ohio State depth chart because I'm around Ohio State, even though they didn't release it. So I just did very quickly the starters, both sides of the ball, 22 guys. How many top 100 players are there? Top 100 recruits are there among the starters for Alabama and Ohio State? And how many five stars, which is like top 25, top 23 guys, right? So if you had to guess, 22 guys total, how many top 100 players for Alabama, top 100 recruits coming out of high school? How many top 100 recruits coming out of high school for Ohio State of the 22? I'd guess 17 for Alabama and 13 for Ohio State for top 100. Very well guessed. It is 15 for Alabama and 12 for Ohio State. And again, there's probably some second team guys who are going to play. I just went by the death chart. Five on offense for Alabama, 10 on defense for Alabama. Wow. Wow. Eight on offense for Ohio State, four on defense for Ohio State. So it's just, it's the flip. That, that kind of says it, doesn't it? Right. We're not surprised by that information. Five stars, five star recruits. How many? So it's how many of those 15 for Alabama were actual five stars? How many of those 12 for Ohio State were actually five stars? I'm going to guess five for Alabama and three for Ohio You're State. You're pretty good about it. five for Alabama is correct. Alabama offensively, Bryce Young at quarterback and J.C. Latham at right tackle. Defensively, Dallas Turner at edge, Will Anderson at edge and Kool-Aid McKinstry at corner. Are there three on defense? So that's their five total. Ohio State, five stars, eight. Huh. So more than Bama. On offense for Ohio State. Is it a bunch of receivers? Not only. But yes, it is Travion Henderson at running back. It is Julian Fleming and Jackson Smith and Jigba at receiver. It is Paris Johnson at left tackle and Donovan Jackson at left guard, who is a second year guy who's going to start for the first time from Texas, as you know. Didn't realize. Yeah, yeah. I remember him. Didn't realize he was going to start already. He's going to be their starting left guard. And then defensively for Ohio State, it is JT Tuimaloau at defensive end. It is Zach Harrison at defensive end, and it is Teron Vincent at defensive tackle, who's kind of a fifth-year guy who has not played to the level of a five-star, but he was a 20th-ranked player in the country coming out. So it's just numbers. That's the information. It's it's offense-defense, just like we thought we were headed potentially towards a Georgia-Ohio State showdown. Best defense in the country, best offense in the country. Michigan made sure that didn't happen. It's a, is it a similar conversation here, Shahan? Is it, is that the shorthand? Bama defense, Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, Ohio State offense, CJ Stroud, Jackson Smith, and Jigba Trevion Henderson. 
I think it's a fine shorthand. Um, I, I think that Alabama's defense won't be the best in the country. I don't think, and I think they're going to be a much. I, I think they're going to be a much more balanced team. Um, I, I mean, I feel like it's probably a little bit more the you know the best offense in the country versus the most complete team in the country. Maybe like that might be the the well, shorthand because the but, hard the hard part is is like hey, it's the Ohio State offense against the Alabama defense, but Bama also has the Heisman winner at quarterback. On the side, they're not good at. So it's like, okay, well, what are we doing here? So, so I do think, um, I think the shorthand is okay, and kind of my shorthand within that shorthand is, I like for now the Bama offense a little better than the Ohio State defense. If we're going by the lesser side of the ball, but I don't think it's that close, honestly. I, so I don't think it's that close. The, the, now with Bryce Young, it's not close. When you start going through the rest of the Bama offense, though, right? And listen, like they don't they don't list Ty Harrell as a starter at the moment, the transfer from Louisville. Um, they have a couple, you know, homegrown guys that they're listing there, but they have Jermaine Burton listed as a starter, the transfer from Georgia. They're starting um, a transfer at left tackle from Vanderbilt, which is a little unusual. Ohio State starting a five star junior who's like the best offensive line recruit Ohio State's had since Orlando Pace at left tackle. Um, You start running through the Alabama offensive line. I'm not trying to be an expert on every part. It's it's, it's not a great, it's not a great offensive line. I'll just say that. JC Latham is a five-star at right tackle. They had the Vandy transfer, who's a fifth-year guy at left tackle. Their interior guys as recruits, 180, 177, 113. Um, the Ohio State guys interior as recruits, 19, 108, 68. Ohio State's offensive line is four guys who were basically top 100 and then a five star. And then it's not a five. The fifth guy was ranked in the thousands because he was a basketball player, but he's six, eight and is 360 pounds and might be Makai Becton. So is Dewan Jones, the right tackle. I think offensive line is an edge for Ohio State versus Alabama. It's not just the skill guys. Right. That it's we know the Ohio we're not Ohio State has an edge in skill guys. Right. Jackson Smith and Jigba is better than anybody that's going to have the ball in their hands for Alabama. But I also think the offensive line is significantly better. And then the question becomes Dallas Turner versus Will Anderson and not versus Dallas Turner and Will Anderson and, and Chris Braswell and everybody else that's going to do it for coming off the edge for Alabama. JT out, Jack Sawyer and Zach Harrison, who are the three best defensive ends for Ohio State, are all five stars and nobody's Will Anderson. But that group is pretty good. I don't think anybody in that group is going to play like Chase Young. But when you go to the Alabama offense and say Bryce Young, you can go to the Ohio State defense and say JT Tumalowau. And that front four should be better than it was a year ago when JT and Jack Sawyer were true freshmen and just learning the ropes. So so I will say, I will say, you know, not, not to get too far into this, but... No, get in all the way. Go! dive in it is striking to me you know you mentioned five five stars starting for alabama eight starting for ohio state it's striking to me how out of the five five stars because because remind me for alabama it's jc latham who's a new guy he's a young kid right tackle and bryce young those are the two on offense who's the heisman winner uh dallas turner who was incredible last year will anderson who's the best player in the country and kool-aid mckinstry who played a lot for them last year so like out of the five Alabama five stars four have already played like five stars. And the, the other one is a redshirt freshman. And on the Ohio state side, 
Like it's a bunch of guys who ha- either haven't played or haven't played up to performance. Well, Tra- Trayvon Henderson was a five star and ran for twelve fifty as a freshman last year. Trayvon Henderson's very good. Jack Smith and Jigba is really good. But like Julian Fleming has never played like a five star. JT Tumaloa is a new player who I think you have to be very excited about. But he hasn't he played. played like that. He played some role last year. Zach Harrison, who's a fourth year guy, has not really played like a five star. Teron Vincent has not played like a five star yet. Uh, Paris Johnson played right guard out of position last yeah. year. And, and, and I think he's very good. I think that he has played like a And then Donovan yet. Jackson just hasn't played yet. Yeah. So, so like, it's interesting because I'm not saying, again, I'm not trying to read too far into it. But, like, Alabama's five stars who are playing are playing because it feels like they're the best players on the field for their position. And Ohio State, it feels like more like these are guys who were five stars and let's see what they can do. So, I mean, like, I, I don't know if I exactly like that's let's talk about, for instance, like Dallas Turner and JT Tumaloau, um, who are similar guys, probably right. Dallas Turner in his class. I have too much information here. Dallas Turner <laughs> was the number nine overall player in the class of 2021 as an edge guy. JT Tumaloau was the number four overall player in that class. And fantastic player, by the way. This is this is not a knock at him. And and JT showed up at Ohio State like in July and wasn't here for spring football and got a late start on things because he committed late. Um, it's one of those things sometimes. It's like, well, if you didn't play as a freshman, is that good or bad? Like, were you not developed fast enough or did you just have more good players ahead of you? Right. I don't. J- Dallas Turner, I think, has shown more. I don't know that the conversation. I, I think it's by a big margin. I think it's by a big margin. But is that because Dallas Turner is that much better than JT Tumaloa, or is it just because Bama needed him more last year compared to the other guys that could play? My response would be that Ohio State's defensive line wasn't very good last year, and JT didn't play. Well, he did play. He played like 250 snaps, but he wasn't a starter. He was not a starter. Dallas Turner was one of the best players in the SEC last year as a freshman. I, I guess we can't we can't disagree with that. I'm not I'm not disagreeing with that. As it applies to 2022, does it mean that Dallas Turner is definitely going to be a lot better than JT Tuimaloau as an edge guy in their second year in college? As we try to evaluate this, JT came in late. Um, did get time on the field. There's a lot of high expectations for him. People think he's ready to make a jump. Like when you're trying to evaluate this, right? Because again, in the end, we're talking about Dallas Turner, part of something that is Alabama's strength, JT Tumaloa, part of something that is Ohio State's weakness. And can, if JT Tumaloa closes the the gap on Dallas Turner, that raises their weakness. It's not going to be, Ohio State's defense is not going to be as good as Alabama's. But, does JT Tuomaloa have a better chance to get close to Dallas Turner? No one's going to get a chance to close to Will Anderson. But does he have a better chance than Jermaine Burton and Ty Harrell do as Bama receivers to get close to the Ohio State receivers? If right now we'd take the Alabama edge rushers, but we'd take the Ohio State receivers, where's the gap bigger? Well, Ohio State has five stars that are trying to close that gap. Bama has transfers that they had to get because like their guys didn't develop as they try to close that gap is one way to is one way to look at it. Yeah. Now, again, Dallas Turner's great. Will Anderson's great. They're going to attack the quarterback, I think, unlike anybody in the country. Everybody thinks that. But you can see Ohio State has a lot of the same guys back in this defense. New scheme, a lot of the same guys. But where the changes come is 
Jack Sawyer and JT Tumaloa as five stars were around last year as two freshmen, but they were learning the ropes and now they're going to play a ton. And if they're ready to go, that has a chance to change the game. Now, that's not everything. Henry To'o would look great in the Ohio State defense at linebacker. Instead, he looks great in the Alabama defense at linebacker. There are a lot of places still where there's a lot more certainty, a lot more certainty around the Alabama defense than the Ohio State defense. But I think there's a lot more certainty on the Ohio State offensive line than there is the Bama offensive line. So it's better offense, better defense. Where is the gap closer is my shorthand for trying to analyze this. And in the end, I picked Alabama to beat Ohio State in the national championship game. But I'm curious to see if Joey Bosa played was an All-American as a true sophomore at Ohio State. If JT Tumaloa makes anything close to a Bosa jump, and Bosa was really good as a true freshman and played a ton. He was more like Dallas Turner. You know, JT was easing in. That closes the gap. That's what I'm watching. Do I think I could get to the place where I suddenly believe Ohio State's the best team in the country? I think I could get there over the course of the season, and that's what would get me there. That Alabama's, the gap between Alabama's offense and Ohio State's offense is bigger than the gap between Alabama's defense and Ohio State's defense. But at the moment, I'm going with the smaller gap for Bama because guess what? They have the Heisman winner on their weaker side of the ball, even though I think there are legit questions around their skill guys and their offensive line. I'm so curious to watch Alabama, I, I mean, like, I don't think that they're necessarily going to be challenged in their non-conference slate, but, like, I'm going to be really curious to watch them, even against Texas, right? Like, Texas isn't a great team, but, like, I'm going to be curious to see some of their new guys against live competition. You know, do do the Alabama receivers with Jermaine Burton look different after having an offseason to develop those receivers? Because a lot of them were true freshmen last year and played like true freshmen when they were called upon. Um, but, you know, they were top 50 type guys, right? Like, are we going to see a level of development? I was shocked, actually, in the national championship game, how bad the, those receivers looked uh, What when they were kind of asked to do a little bit more. That was shocking to me. And so I'm going to be interested to see, do we see early on? I mean, <laughs> at the beginning of the year, they go Utah State at Texas ULM versus Vanderbilt. And then like on October 1st, it's at Arkansas, which is kind of like the first real test, probably. Like, I'm, I'm going to be curious to see whether those receivers look like they're able to step up. Now, I, I think that a big part of this, too, is that, like you said, this isn't an Alabama offensive line. I think that they're probably going to really lean on their run game early to try to have them figure it out. Uh, you know, their interior is very good. Their their tackles, I think, is really where you have a lot of questions about them because you're starting a redshirt freshman and a transfer. Uh, their their interior is pretty good. Emil Ikior is an All-America type player at left guard for them. Um so I, I'm going to be curious how much they grow. I don't think they're going to be as bad as they were last year, especially on the offensive line. Um, it was a rebuilding gear in a lot of ways, but they also don't have an Evan Neal this year at left tackle to, to make things easier. So a lot of all this to say a lot of questions, I think, about uh, what Alabama's ceiling is, what their floor is. But I mean, the other thing I, I think the other thing, too, when I'm comparing these two teams is. Man, Alabama had a lot of problems last year, and they probably should have won the national championship anyway. In a rebuilding year. Get, yeah. yeah. And, and now they've like had an opportunity to address the things that were issues for them, which doesn't sound fair to me. I don't think they should be allowed to do that. I think that they should have to be flawed forever, but unfortunately, uh, unfortunately they disagree. So um, <laughs> it's definitely an interesting dynamic. And it's, it's hard. I think Ryan Day is a good coach, but... If it's close, do you go with Saban? Like what's, yeah. 
Uh, I mean, you have to. You have to. Like, he'll find a way. And and it will be really fun and interesting. We, From an Ohio State perspective, but I think nationally, maybe nationally it wasn't quite as there. It definitely was um, for Ohio State people. The Trevor Lawrence-Justin Fields thing a couple years ago was very real in the sense of they were both high school quarterbacks in Georgia. They grew, you know, they were like 50 miles apart or whatever in high school. They were the top two recruits in their class. Trevor Lawrence went to Clemson. Justin Fields went to Georgia. Justin Fields then transfers to Ohio State. Trevor Lawrence is sort of this bar, right? They can Justin Fields get over that bar. They play each other in the playoff right away in 2019 and Ohio State blows the lead and Trevor Lawrence brings Clemson back. And here it is again, like Justin Fields is really good, but he can't get back past Trevor Lawrence. And then in 2020, their junior year, Ohio State beats Clemson, right? Now, neither of them won a Heisman and Ohio State didn't win the national championship that year, but it was like an interesting direct comparison between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields in a lot of ways. And then you get to the draft and Trevor Lawrence goes one and Justin Fields goes wherever he goes, 15 or whatever to the Bears. So Justin, Trevor Lawrence ends up winning far more often than not against Justin Fields, but at least Justin Fields got that one game against Clemson in the semis. You have two quarterbacks here, CJ Stroud, and Bryce Young. They're both five-star guys. They're both from LA. They both leave home and go out. CJ Stroud's a Heisman finalist last year, but Bryce Young wins it. Alabama, neither win a national title, but Ohio State misses the playoff. Alabama gets the national title game. Now, like, can CJ Stroud get over the top in some way against Bryce Young? CJ Stroud's had a great career. And they're going to be right at the top of the conversation, along with Will Anderson, to be the top picks in the 2023 NFL draft. I, who knows what's going to happen? But I think I would be surprised if they're not the first two quarterbacks off the board. Maybe they won't be the top two picks, but they're certainly in line to be the top two quarterbacks and top 10 guys, top five guys. It's an interesting direct comparison. But C.J. Stroud, Shahan, is leading the strength of his team, while Bryce Young potentially is making everybody around him better. And if you I think legitimately, I don't know if it's a question, but if you wonder about Jermaine Burton and Ty Harrell and Ja'Cory Brooks and Jameer Gibbs and everybody else in the Bama offense, well, they have Bryce Young there to lift him up. Yeah, and I think that's for me, you know, look, I know that people complain that sometimes sports media is just like, they treat Bama as inevitable, but like, Bama's been inevitable for a long time, like a really long time, and Anytime you think that Alabama is not going to fix something, they literally always do. It's always happened for the last 15 years. I, you know, I, I went to college in 2012 and I literally don't remember a time when Alabama didn't figure it out and end up better than everybody else. Like it's never once happened that that hasn't happened. So I think that Alabama's heading towards more of a culmination year this year. I, I think that things are going to look different. So I don't think that Alabama is going to have Bryce Young throw the ball for 5,000 yards this year. I think that they're going to try to be a little more balanced. I think they're probably going to slow down the game a little bit, lean on their defense, try to be a little bit more disruptive uh, and you know potentially limit the amount of plays. So, you know, it's going to be, I think, a little bit of a different look than what we saw last year. But I mean, Again, Alabama should have won the national championship last year with a team that wasn't all that good by Alabama standards. And it's hard to forget that when we're looking at them having a chance to develop some of those spots in 2022. Alabama, I think, will be better than 2021 Alabama, not as good as 2020 Alabama. But I do think Jamison Williams was so important to them last year. 
he just his speed opened everything up. They have to answer for like who does that for them beyond Bryce Young? Who is the skill guy that makes life easier for everybody else? So I think they have to answer that. Maybe it's Burton. Maybe it's Harrell. Maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's just Jameer Gibbs is so good with the ball in his hands that it opens up the whole passing game. I do think they have to answer that a little bit. Um, in the end, we're both picking Bama over Ohio State to win it all. Is that correct? Yes. So we'll see if we're right. We will do this throughout the season. We will add a playoff contender each week. We will kick out a playoff contender. We will have the Apple bonus show for everybody where we'll be reacting to things. We'll be trying to take questions from our Twitter followers at CFB Survivor Show. It's here, Shahan. Good luck this weekend. Yeah, yeah, time to get into things. I've had to already get back in the groove of writing preview content for a national audience. It, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Uh, yeah, I, I can't wait. I, I feel like I'm counting down the moments to that uh, West Virginia versus Pitt game on Thursday, and then we're really off and running. Then we go. All right, thanks to you guys for joining us here for season two of the College Football Survivor Show. They said it couldn't be done. Actually, nobody said it because, like, why would who would do? Uh, is, that, is that podcast going to make it? I don't care. Nobody cares. We care. We care. So thanks for doing it. We made it. We're to our second season. We'll see how we hit on our playoff teams. Just one. So we, we gave you our playoff teams. Again, the 11 teams in our mix. We'll see in the end how many of these 11 teams actually wound up being playoff contenders. The final verdict. A year ago, we had 10 going into the season. This year, we have 11. Georgia, Alabama, Texas A&M. Michigan, Ohio State. Clemson, NC State, USC, Utah, Baylor, and BYU. That's our discussion. That's where we'll start. We'll see you guys next week. For Shahan J. Haraja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. <laughs>